Thank you, Kristen. Hello. Good evening to you all. Someone's glasses, if you've lost them, lost them for later on. Uh, while I get set up, turn to the person next to you. That's a slightly complicated question, so you'll need to listen for a moment. If someone was looking at how you spend your money, what would they say you value the most? If someone was looking at how you spend your money, what would they say you value the most? All right, go. Okay, now we're going to come back to that question in a little while. First, before we go there, before we get to this passage, before we get to this parable, I want to take you back. I want to take you back a few years. I won't tell you exactly how many. Take you back to when I was 20 years old. Uh, I was young. I was uh, full of energy, full of enthusiasm. The world was my oyster, so to speak. And back in those days, I drove arguably the best car in the world. It was a little white four-door hatchback Ford Laser. Front-wheel drive, 1.2-litre engine. That thing went. But the thing that was special about my white four-door hatchback Ford Laser is that at some point, one of the previous owners had decided that that would be a good car to do up. And so they'd cut the springs to lower it. They'd put a body kit around it. They put these white kind of tires, white, white, uh, white rims on it. It looked really nice. It looked a little bit like this. This isn't actually my car. I couldn't find a photo of my one, but it, it really wasn't dissimilar to that. And I tricked it out even further. I had neons inside. So when you got in, right, it was this kind of little party car. Now, you really shouldn't cut the springs on a car like that, as it turns out, because if you had anyone in the back seat, any time you turned a corner, the wheel arch would rub against the tyre. So you'd turn a corner, kind of go, as you went around. And you had to go sideways over speed humps, because otherwise the body kit, which was just plastic, would just get knocked right off. The best car you've ever known. Now, it was a reliable car. It did well. As far as I was concerned, it was running amazing under the hood. The engine was perfect. Until, of course, the day that I had to go for a fairly long drive. Now, uh, I, had to go, I was going to do my learner's course for the motorbike test. Uh, interesting chatting with a few of you this morning about your, P, your learner's test for cars. Apparently, Ingleburn, you can't get in till next year to do your test, right? And it was similar for me. Where I lived, there was nowhere local that I could go to do the motorbike course. I had to go out past Ride, which for someone from the eastern suburbs is like the end of the world, right? And uh, a couple of our people live in Ride very recently, so they know what I'm talking about. It really is the end of the world. And I was driving down the M2. And we're hooning along and we're hooning along. And I, I love my car, right, with 110 with its little engine and not a problem. Until just as I was getting to the exit off the M2 that I had to take, I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw a cloud that was following me, a cloud of white smoke, which was coming from my exhaust. And not, not a little cloud, not a couple of puffs, but I feared for the cars behind me. And I just made it off the exit and just made it to start going up the hill and the car stopped. Now, my car, I thought, was running perfectly well. And so I didn't think to look at the gauges. If I'd been watching the temperature gauge, I might have caught the problem before it happened. I might have seen that needle starting to head towards the red and maybe done something before the head gasket went. Now... Tonight, we have an opportunity to check our gauges. That was the point of that story, right? Just, just a connection to a gauge. The temperature gauge, because maybe you're cruising along and you think that everything under the hood is going well. 
You know, the engine's ticking over. The heart is doing what it's supposed to do. And I don't mean the heart in the sense of the thing that pumps blood around. I mean the heart as the seat of our emotions, of our values, of our desires, of our life. And if we'd only stop and have a look at the gauge, then perhaps we would see something we need to deal with. Now let's get into this story that Jesus tells. Let's see, what is this gauge that he's telling us about? How can I know if my heart is right? Well, let's set the context. Chapter 12 in Luke. Keep Luke open. If you've closed it, open it back up again. You want to make sure that what I'm speaking are God's words from the Bible, not something that I'm making up. If you want to take notes, go for it. It'll help you to think. It'll help you to focus. Chapter 12 and verse 1. There's a crowd that's gathered. Jesus now, wherever he goes, is followed by a throng. It's a little bit like a concert. Um, If the projector would come up. No, would you go to the next one? There we go. Uh, Stop pushing buttons, Ben. I've got it. It's a bit like a crowd, a concert. I mean, this is a U2 concert, uh, a whole bunch of people up the front. In fact, such was the crowd that they're trampling on one another. Have you ever been to the mosh pit at the front of a kind of, and uh, yeah, 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 you you guys are cool. Um, And people just kind of jumping over each other to get to the front. Well, it's a little bit like that. And as this crowd has gathered, Jesus is teaching his immediate disciples. He's kind of got them in the front row and he's teaching them some pretty serious stuff. Things like this in verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after can do no more, but I will show you who to fear. Fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you into hell. I mean, that's, that's full on. Serious, life-changing stuff he's teaching to his disciples. And as he teaches them, this guy pipes up. He wants to ask his question of the master. Now, if his question is anything like last week's question, do you remember that? What must I do to inherit eternal life? If he asks that question, brilliant. I mean, we want to hear that answer. But instead, this guy pipes up and what does he say? Chapter 12 and verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher! Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What? There's a couple of thousand people behind you. There's the disciples who have been hearing universe-shattering messages and this guy goes, oh, Jesus! He wants to rip me off. He wants to take the car or the chariot or the donkey or whatever it was, right? What? And Jesus... I mean, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I mean, he's kind of, what are you, what are you going on about? Have you ever been to see a stand-up comedian? Anyone ever been to see a stand-up comedian? A few people. All right, the rest of you, you need to discover that joy. Uh, let me introduce you to a man named Ross Noble. Uh, he's hilarious, okay? Just YouTube him. Uh, at least half of the content on, the, on his shows, he makes up on the fly. That's how good this guy is. And woe to the person who pipes up, who heckles him, who asks a question, who comes in late, because for the rest of the night, that person gets picked on. He's the butt of all the jokes. He's the one that is spoken of. He's the one that gets bounced off to bring the message, so to speak. So what Jesus does with this guy is a bit more like a stand-up comedian than a U2 concert. The crowd is there and he picks on this guy. He looks into his heart and what he sees there prompts this warning. Jesus sees that the temperature gauge in this man's life is heading towards that red line 
And he wants to warn. And so he says in verse 15 to the crowd now, springboarding off this one man, watch out. Watch out. Be careful. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. Watch out. Here is the gauge. Do you pursue a life full of the things of this world? Now, he goes on to illustrate it with a story. But before we get to that story, let me tell you three things about money. I'll tell you three things about money. Uh, and I'm going to use the words money and wealth kind of interchangeably, right? Money, we, I mean, a $10 note in and of itself doesn't, isn't worth anything. It's a piece of plastic in this country, which is kind of cool. They have paper money elsewhere, but it doesn't, it's not worth anything in and of itself. But we've agreed that it represents value. We've agreed that money equals value. Money has the capacity to do the things that I want to do. And so, for example, I might value staying alive. And so money represents the power to buy food that I can then eat. I might value education. And so money represents the power to go to a good school, to go to a university, to enrol in courses, to pay someone else to teach me. Now notice what is happening though. Money gives us the ability to do what we want to do. Money doesn't just represent the capacity to do something, but it also shows our values, what our heart values. What you do with your money shows what you value with your heart. What you do with your money shows what you value with your heart. And so I might, maybe I value entertainment. I suspect we value entertainment a bit too highly in our culture and so we spend our money on it. Maybe we value ministry and gospel work and so we spend our money on it. Our spending has the capacity to show us what we value. In fact, Jesus will put it in these words over in verse 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money represents value. Secondly, money makes a promise. Wealth, it has this, well, it goes something like this. I give life. If, if, if you have lots of me, you will have a very full life. You will be happy and content and satisfied. You will have the ability to do whatever you want to do. You can live the comfortable life. You can be safe and secure. I give the full life. If you don't have me, well, your life will be dreary and boring and drab. You'll be unhappy. You'll be unfulfilled. You'll be empty. What you need is more. What you need is what I can give you. I can give you a full life. Money represents value. Money makes a promise, but money lies. Jesus will speak of the deceitfulness of riches. See, that promise, money can't keep it. 
it can't give you a full life. It can't fill your life. In fact, such is the effect that wealth can have that it may well lead to your death. So let's listen to this story Jesus tells. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. There you go. There's a barn. Uh, he said, I'll build bigger ones. And I will stall up all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Oh, there's the first two points about money. It represents value. He has the power, now that he has the money, to do what he wants. And money, the promise that his wealth gives him is you can now have the full life. You can do what your heart desires. But money is a liar. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool. Anyone ever do those, uh, to be honest, on Facebook? Can you imagine how much it would suck? If God just wrote one word, fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You will get what you've prepared for yourself. Money promised, but it cannot deliver. The lie is exposed. Your life is demanded of you and your wealth will do absolutely nothing. Now, what's the problem? Why does God call this man a fool? I mean, a damned fool at that, right? He's demanding his life of him. What did the man do wrong? Was it that he was rich? Well, no, that's not the problem. Was he that he made a really good profit? He, he was a good farmer. He planted his crops and he got a really good return on it. Well, no, that's not the problem either. Making a profit as such is a good thing. Pursuing wealth in and of itself isn't a problem. right? If you're good at business and your business succeeds and you make a lot of money out of it, well, good on you. If you get offered a pay raise and you take it, fantastic. If you change jobs because there's a better paying one, well, that's not a problem. The problem was the way that he used his riches showed what he valued most. The way this man used his riches showed what he valued the most. And what did he value? Well, verse 19, take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry, chill, relax, enjoy the things you worked hard for. Go on some trips, take up surfing, play golf, drive a nice car, eat good food, eat out, eat out and eat good food. Now in and of itself, those things don't sound particularly bad, do they? And in fact, if there was no God and if there was no resurrection, that would make perfect sense. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Fair enough, if there's nothing to come then let's enjoy this life. But there is a God and there is a resurrection. And so this man's problem was failing to use his wealth 
in a way that showed that what he valued above all else was the God who is worth more than all else. He used his wealth in a way that enjoyed this life with no regard for the next. His money showed where his heart was and it was nowhere near God. And so Jesus, he sums it up and he brings it home to us. Verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Now this man, he wasn't just a story, a fable. He's an example to us. Anyone who stores up riches for himself but is not rich towards God. Now what is it to be rich towards God? What does that mean? I mean, clearly it's important. Jesus is telling us to do that. So I take it that it is the opposite of what this man did. It's the opposite of laying up for yourself treasure on earth. It's the opposite of treating yourself as if you are made for the things of this world rather than as if you are made for God. See, to be rich toward God begins with knowing that God is the greatest treasure you could possibly have. That he is worth more than anything else in this world. It means to value him above all else. And that's a good thing to do because he is valuable above all else. It means treating our own lives not as if we are made for the things of this world, but as if we were made for God. And it means using our wealth in ways that show that. Paul says it this way to Timothy. Timothy was a young bloke, kind of Paul's, Paul's protege, and, uh, and he was teaching Timothy what it means to live as a Christian. And now 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, Paul puts it this way. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, or to put their hope in wealth. But command them to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that they may take hold of that life that is truly life. Jesus said to this man, life doesn't consist of the abundance of your possessions. And the, the fact that you would come, you would push through the thousands of people, you would come within grasping distance of Jesus, all in order to ask a question about your inheritance, shows that you are redlining. That what you value inside are the things of this world, not the things of God. Life doesn't consist of the abundance of possessions. Do you know that feeling? It almost feels like you're chasing after wind. Where you, there's the next thing and it just doesn't satisfy. The next experience and then you want more. The next relationship and it fails you. You try and make money to buy these things and it just goes on and on and on. 
Life does not consist of the abundance of things. It consists in knowing God and being known by God. It consists in loving God and being loved by God. It consists in valuing God and his purposes and his values and his plans above everything else. That is what you and that is what I were created for. Maybe you're here tonight and, uh, and you're a Christian person. You know you're a Christian, you identify as someone who is a Christian. I want you to make sure that you hear what tonight is about. Tonight isn't about money. Tonight's not about money, surprisingly. Tonight is about your heart. The money, it's the temperature gauge. What you do with your wealth will show you visibly, tangibly, in the real world, what you value. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, you are someone who has said that what you value above all else is the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. That what you value above all else is God as God. That you want to live for him. How do you spend your wealth? What do you do with it? I mean, that question we asked before, as you shared, if someone looks in, Paul puts it this way again, speaking to the Philippians. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surprising, su- surprising, surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Is that your attitude to your wealth? You want things, you want to invest your earthly wealth into those things that will last for eternity. And let me tell you a secret. It's not a very good secret. Everyone knows it. Do you know what's going to last into eternity? Anyone knows what's going to last into eternity? Yeah. People. Have you ever thought about that? Every time you see a little baby being born, a new immortal has entered into the world. People. You will last into eternity. Your friends will last into eternity. And so are you using your wealth in a way that grows God's purposes for you? I mean, we we can start there. That's okay. You go to places that will equip you and edify you, that will help you grow as a Christian. And do you invest your wealth into things that will grow others? evangelism and ministry, both locally and abroad, in your own life, with your own friends, in organisations that they can do it? Do you care for those who are poor and who are needy, the people that God cares for with your wealth? What does your budget say about what you value? See, what the heart wants, money does. What the heart wants, money does. Go and do, well, I'm not going to tell you to go and spend your money in the right places because tonight's not about the money, it's about the heart. I want you to see the gauge that you might know if your engine is ticking rightly. And if you look at it and you think, actually, you know what, I'm heading towards that red line, then please go and seek God. Seek him to love him, to be loved by him. Live that Christian quest to have your heart turned towards God. And you know how that happens. 
You will read your Bible. You will pray. You will meet with Christians. You will meditate upon his word. You will seek opportunities to do good to others. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. In fact, as I've been talking, you think to yourself, well, I know that my gauge is well and truly in the red in that sense because what I live for are the things of this world. Now, firstly, I need to ask you, do you, do you believe Jesus when he says that money is deceptive? Do you believe Jesus when he says that money lies to you, that it can accomplish all of these things? You need to remember this story that he told about this man who thought that wealth was going to get him everything and then God called him to account and wealth got him nothing. Do you believe that? If you do, then please listen and know that true riches are being rich towards God. I can help you. I mean, it starts with reading the Bible. It starts with listening to what God says. We need ultimately our hearts to be changed so that what we value is no longer what David wants because David wants all sorts of selfish things of this world and instead that what I value is what God wants. And you know what? God promises he will do that. God promises that he will change your heart. If you want, if you come to him, if you ask him for it, he will do exactly that. Oh, he'll deal with the past because that needs to be dealt with. He will give you a hope for the future which is greater than any other hope you've ever even thought of and he will deal with your heart such that you will begin to value what he values above all else. Well, my little Ford laser, I spent the money, I fixed it. Spending a head gasket, it's not a cheap thing to fix, but we did it and uh, I, dri I managed to drive home. Thankfully, I had a bottle of water uh, Actually, I'll tell you another story another time. Remind me about the story about how I got to my L's test. That was amazing. But um, I put, you know, put water in the radiator, a little life hack tip. Never open a car radiator while it's still hot because it's under compression inside the radiator, right, and it'll spew boiling water everywhere. Little life hack. Waited for it to cool down, managed to kind of open it without dying, uh, poured more water in, got home and running on just three cylinders. Very slowly, stopped at Macca's in Parramatta on the way. I spent the money, I got it fixed, the car ran for another year or two, and then it blew a head gasket again, and it died, and now we went to the wreckers. Are you paying attention to the gauge? Because you really don't want your heart to die. When God comes and demands your life of you, you want to have your riches in him, not be trusting in the riches of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the warning. Thank you that Jesus wasn't afraid to say, watch out. To tell us to be careful. To show us the lie that money brings. Father, please, for each one of us, we are rich. We are the people who are in danger of this very thing. We love the things around us. We love our comforts. We love our possessions and our toys. We love our vehicles and our houses. We love our education and our experiences. We love our travelling and our good food. We love spending the wealth that we have in ways that show our hearts don't really care for you. 
So please, Father, would you change our hearts? Would you change us that we might know you? We might love you. We might value you and what you value above all else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.